Take your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Brother Sean briefly mentioned the fall revival that our church is planning. That will begin on the Sunday um, there before uh, the actual revival speaker will be in. We're preaching on revival. Uh, Then Monday night, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, Brother Joe Arthur will be here and he'll be preaching our fall revival. I'm so excited. I honestly cannot remember the last time our church had a revival. Uh, I, I really can't in my mind remember when it was. So I'm excited about being revived. <laughs> Amen. Uh, the, the theme this year is revive us again. And so we thought it was a good year to do this. Now, one thing that I do believe, and I share this with our, our, our uh, other pastor, is that we don't always need to be revived. We don't always need preachers to come in and give us a shot in the arm because it's all the same word of God. We have good preachers here. Well, good preacher here. The rest of y'all sitting in the auditorium uh, when I stand up to preach. But uh, we have some good preaching here. We don't always need 17 revivals. You're busy, folk. But make sure this year you're already planning to be a part of it. It will be something special. In fact, I believe we're going to have supper every evening in case you get off work late. That way you can come in and join in supper with us. And then you can get some physical food and then come in and get some soul food. That would be good. Amen. So make sure you're already planning to be a part of that this year. Luke chapter 24, verse number 13 will be our text this evening. The Bible says in Luke 24, verse 13, And behold... Two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? He said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he set it meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Heavenly Father, tonight I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, I have begged you and pleaded with you that your word would so be illuminated through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that I would just be a small piece in that process. Lord, as I present truth and I present your word in the best way that I know how and to the best of my ability, 
Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue where I will fall short. And I pray that he would deliver it to the hearts of people that want to hear and people that want to respond tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to stand and preach. And Lord, I pray that it would be profitable to the hearers in the room tonight. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have given my life to be a preacher of the gospel. I have no secondary plans. I'm not talented at many things. I'm not necessarily good at what I do. But I'm not planning on embarking on some different business endeavor. Even if I were to invent something that would make me rich and famous, I would most likely just uh, 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 sell it so that I could continue to preach the gospel. You want to know why? It's because I believe that God has called me to preach the gospel. And I believe that because He has given me this calling, there is no greater opportunity that I could ever have but to fulfill God's will on my life. There's nothing better than seeing someone respond to the preached Word of God and see them repent and see them come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. I don't care how much money you could offer me. I don't care how much wealth, how much gold, how much silver. I don't care how much popularity, success, or fame you could offer me. All of them would fall short as to see the look on a sinner's face as they finally realized for the first time in their life that Jesus loved them enough to die for them. There's nothing greater than that. My father's been a preacher of the gospel for now about 49 years. And that is truly an accomplishment. I, I, I'm amazed at his faithfulness over the years, that he's been faithful to preach three times a week in most years of his life, more than that in many other years of his life, preach the gospel for 49 years. I did some math. And I just simply averaged out, if he were to have preached three sermons a week for 49 years, how many sermons he would have preached. Now, this may be a little skewed. You may be thinking in your mind, well, Brother Andrew only preaches uh, about twice a week now. Now, you got me, but when he was in evangelism, he preached approximately five times a week. So I believe my average would be about three times a week, and I believe that we can all agree that he's done about that for 49 years. And in just my mouth, math, my father has preached somewhere around 7,644 sermons in his life. That's impressive. That's an amazing thing for a man to study his Bible so much that he would be able to present that much truth from the Word of God. And even if you say, well, I wasn't really around in those years, I did some math from just the conception of our church. 29 years our church has been around, and he preached three times a week from its very conception. So at that time, till now, if you were to average out about 2.8 sermons a week, which I believe you can understand, that would be a conservative figure. If you were to just average those out, just in our pulpit alone, my father, our senior pastor, has preached over 4,000 sermons at Joshua Baptist Church. So that got me thinking. If the calling of my life is to preach the gospel with no other plans... And if you ever take away my pulpit, I'll just find another one somewhere. Probably as close to your front door as I can get. If I've given my life to this, and 50 years from now I'll be able to look back on my ministry and realize I've preached nearly 8,000 sermons, I want to make sure I'm doing it right. And I want to make sure that every time I open the Bible, I'm preaching from a right heart for God and with right intentions to see sinners saved and saints get right. So tonight I want to teach you the three purposes of preaching. I want to draw your attention to verse 27. That's where really the, the sermon came from as I read through this passage. The Bible says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, that being Jesus, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning 
himself. Now, Jesus came for several reasons while he was on this earth. The main reason was to save sinners. It was to die on the cross of Calvary so that people could come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and that no longer they were to be separated from God, but that they could have fellowship again with him through the blood of Christ. And that was his main focus on coming to this earth. While he was on this earth, he had several other ministries that he served. He he healed people and he helped people. One of the main things he did was he started the church. And if I read my Bible correctly, he only started one. So if you don't think that this is the type of church that Christ started, I would encourage you to go find the church that he did. But I believe with my whole heart tonight that we are the type of church that the Lord Jesus Christ started. And Jesus was a teacher, and Jesus was a healer, and Jesus was a prophet. But out of all those things, make no mistake about it, Jesus was a preacher. Jesus preached, my friend. And and here in our passage, here's just a couple of gentlemen walking down the road, and and they're discussing things between themselves. And and Jesus comes to them, and, and he listens to their conversation, and he questions them about their conversation. And he realizes that they've erred in some places and and that he needs to help them and instruct them in some places. And the Bible says in verse 27, And Jesus expounded the scriptures unto them. I believe Jesus was a preacher. And if I'm going to be a preacher, and Jesus was a preacher, I want to preach like Jesus. So tonight I want to show you first of all how Jesus preached and why he preached He preached to strengthen our faith. He preached to strengthen our faith. Now, we're in chapter 24 of the book of Luke, but in chapter 23, what makes this story so remarkable is, in chapter 23, Jesus died. And you say, well, how could Jesus be here in chapter 24 if in chapter 23 he died? Well, that's the good news of the story, amen. He didn't just die, but he rose again the third day, and I'm so thankful for that. And as these men are walking down the road, Jesus appears unto them. I can only imagine the anxiety and the confusion that these men would have been feeling at this point. Think the Bible tells us several times that Jesus encouraged his disciples to leave everything and follow him. Many of them left occupations. Some of them left family. Uh, Many of them had a total change of life when they met Jesus. And let me just say this on the heels of that. I believe when you do meet Jesus, you will have a change of life. But these disciples sacrificed so much to follow Jesus. Some of them left their occupations, their families, they left their callings, and they gave it all up to follow Jesus. But here, these men just watched Jesus die. They saw him take his last breath. They heard the words as he said, it is finished. And right now, their faith is at an all-time low. And I just believe that's why Jesus showed up, was to help strengthen their faith. Well, preaching will always do two things. It will always remind us of God's power. I want you to notice in verse 11. Jesus comes to these men and he begins to encourage them. Why did they need encouragement? Well, we'll start reading verse 10. The Bible says it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Now, what things is that? Oh, those are the things when the angels appeared unto them and said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you looking in the grave for someone who is not here? Jesus is alive. He is risen indeed. And that's great news. But when these women delivered this news, I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 11. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Now, these men were in that room. If they had enough faith to trust that Jesus was the Messiah, and if they had enough faith to give up their livelihoods and their and, and, and spending time with their family, if they had enough faith to follow Jesus, 
Now the Bible says these women return and they say, Jesus is alive. We saw it. The, the angels told us Jesus is alive. And these men say, sure. Yeah, right. I watched him die. Is that not what verse 11 says? It seemed to them as idle tales, and they didn't believe him. I wonder why they didn't believe him. Well, I would say because they had lost their faith in the power of God. Think of it. It would seem almost hopeless to see the Messiah die, and now you're wondering what's going on and and why everything is at the state it's at. And and, and you're looking for answers, and, and, and you just don't seem to have any. You know what preaching does? Preaching reveals to you the power of God no matter how dark the night. And these men are confused. They are are bewildered. They don't know what's going on. All they know is they gave their life to follow a man who said he was the Messiah, who said he had power, and now he's dead, and they're at a standstill not knowing what to do. They seemed as idle tales. You know what preaching does? It exposes the truths of this book and makes them real and alive. It's a man of God studying this book and knowing this book and applying this book to his life so that he can then apply it to your life. It's a man of God saying, I promise you these things are so. The Word of God promises these things are so. And I pray that you will believe they're so. But often we doubt the power of God, do we not? And often it's when we're at our lowest point and it's so hard to see God's hand in our life. It's when you get that phone call that says your father or mother has a terminal illness. It's when you, when you realize that the employer doesn't want to give you a promotion, but actually quite the opposite. He wants to give you a demotion. It's when everything seems hopeless. It's when everything seems pointless. It's at that point when you don't even feel like coming to church, when you need church the most. Preaching reveals the power of God. Not only does preaching reveal the power of God, I want you to notice this. Preaching reveals the purpose of God. Preaching reveals the purpose of God. Look in verse 14. Verse 14, these men are traveling down the road, the Bible says. Ye have brought this, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 23, in verse 24 of, uh, chapter 24, verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned. Now these men are looking for answers. They don't have them. And so they're bouncing ideas and, and bouncing opinions off of each other, and they're saying, well, maybe this is what happened. I'm not sure, but maybe this is what's going on. And, and they're reasoning within themselves on why everything has fallen away and why they just watched the man who they gave their lives to serve, why they just watched him die. And they're confused, and they're reasoning within themselves. Look at verse 21. The Bible gives us a little clarity as what they were kind of speaking of. Verse 21, the Bible says, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Well, there it is. They thought he was the ruler. They were looking for a Messiah, but not the way that we know the Messiah as being the sacrificial Lamb of God. They were looking at the Messiah as someone to come and redeem them from the rule of Rome. They were looking for someone to relieve the oppression and relieve the the bondage that they were in. And they said, "We, we don't know what's going on. All we know is this Jesus, we trusted that he would redeem us. And Jesus begins to preach to them the truth. Sometimes we don't fully understand why God is doing what he's doing or how the hand of God is at work in our own life. It it seems like the, the way that we would choose is actually quite contrary to the way that God has laid out for us. And and, and when those times come, I I, I would encourage you to find a a preacher, 
Find a sermon. Find a, a Bible verse that will speak to your heart truth because the Bible says, For His ways are not our ways, neither are His thoughts our thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than our thoughts, so are His ways higher than our ways. A preacher is supposed to bring you the truth. He's not supposed to bring you good news. Now, there's a lot of good news in the gospel, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. But a preacher is supposed to tell you this, that you will not always understand the path that you are to take. The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of destruction. You see, a preacher is supposed to stand up and tell you that Jesus has a plan for your life. And no matter how dark the night may be, and no matter how difficult circumstances may be around you, if God is for you, who can be against you? That's the sermon a preacher is supposed to preach. These men didn't fully understand everything, and they were trying to look within themselves for answers. But every time we look within ourselves for answers, we will find nothing but lies. It's then we are to turn to God's Word and find truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, For after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You say, Brother Andrew, why do you shout? Brother Andrew, why do you get red-faced? Brother Andrew, why do you come in here and sweat up a storm? Well, because it's the only time I work out all week. That's, that's why. Why, Brother Andrew, do you look like a fool when you preach? Because if you study your Bible, preaching does look like foolishness. Preaching is a man that's so passionate about the message and, and he just wants to lift his voice up and like, like the book of Isaiah says, like a trumpet. And he wants to proclaim the word of God. Sometimes preaching will look foolishness. But to God, he chose it to be the power of God unto salvation. Preaching sometimes looks foolish. But it will always reveal the plan of God for your life. I just believe in my heart that Preaching is intended to strengthen our faith. I want you to notice, secondly, preaching will always correct our folly. Look in verse 25. The Bible says, and this is Jesus' response to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, if you study the sermons and the life of Christ, I do not believe that a controversial, beating down type preaching honors the Lord. I don't believe that a preacher should always beat you down. In fact, the Bible says that preaching and the Word of God is there to edify. In fact, it's actually the exact opposite of what tearing down is actually building up. I don't believe that preaching was always meant to say, you're wrong and you never do right. And, and in God's eyes, he's just your righteous judge. Oh, yes, but he's a loving father. He's the one that gave us mercy and his mercies are new every morning. And, and I don't believe that the whole, I don't know, the, the beat you down type preaching is actually honoring to God. Now, in our circle, and by circle I mean in Baptists, especially independent fundamental Baptists who sing from, the King sing from the King James Version of the Bible, amen, sing from hymnals and preach from the King James Version, I promise you this is far too prevalent. Preachers that get up and never help their people, they're always hurting their people. They're contradictory to Jesus' ministry, because when people saw Jesus and heard the words that proceeded out of his mouth, they marveled at the graciousness of his speech. I believe Jesus was a gracious preacher. But does that mean that occasionally Jesus didn't get very honest with people? Well, right here, I like how these men are searching. They're not bad men. They're, they're searching for answers. They're disciples. And Jesus looks straight at them and says, You're fools. You're wrong. I believe preaching corrects folly. I want you to notice with me, first of all, an exhaustive search. Look in verse number 27. After Jesus says, you're wrong, he begins to help them get right. And that's preaching. 
It's pointing out where people are wrong, but it's helping them get right. Beating people down never helps them grow. And so Jesus shows them they're wrong, and they begins to tell them how to be right. Look at verse 27. And beginning at Moses, that's the law of Moses, and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all scriptures. You want to know where all false doctrine comes from? An ignorant search of the Word of God. I can find anything in this book to make you think anything if you don't cross-reference it with other things. I can show you in the book of Song of Solomon's where Solomon tells that the whole duty of man is just to enjoy the works of his hands. Just to get rich and enjoy that wealth. As we preach at this church... As you listen to preaching at this church, you must realize that to preach something out of context simply makes it a pretext. Or in in other words, it makes you believe something that's not true. Scripture was always meant to be proved and approved by other Scripture. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, When ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the very word of God. So God gave us his word in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says this, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. What does the word of God do? It gives us practices and principles whereby we are to apply our life and apply in the local New Testament church. That's what the Word of God does. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God as a profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So how many of you tonight believe that God has given us His Word? Let me do that again, because that did not sound like the right amount of amens. How many of you tonight believe that God has given us His Word? If that is the case, and a man of God stands up to preach that word, and he preaches it and proves it from other places in the Bible, and it's right, how much of a fool would you be if you didn't do it? After all, it's not my words I'm preaching. Look, I have nothing to offer you. Brother Billy knows a whole lot more about life than I know, other than in construction. I think I know a little bit more about that than you. Just, (laughs) yeah, that's right. There are people in this room that are years and years and years more experienced than me and more intelligent than me. And you say, Brother Andrew, I even believe that I can preach a better sermon than you. And I say, friend, I have a spot for you next week. But I don't care how the preaching is presented. If it is God's Word, and it is proven by all other Scripture, if you do not follow what the preacher says and what God's Word says, I would submit to you that you are in direct rebellion to God. Jesus shows them their error. He points out to them that they're not to find answers within themselves. They're not to reason together, but they're to consult the Word of God. And Jesus doesn't just pull one scripture out. I love how the Bible says, and he searched all the scriptures. I believe that a preacher ought to search the Bible. I don't think it would be right for a preacher to stand up here and to not prepare and to preach a sermon like he knew what he was talking about. I read a story today about a preacher who did not make a practice to, to study the Word of God. He, he really just sh- showed up and, and got on the platform, and in the 30 minutes of song service, uh, he prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, give me a sermon. Give me something to preach on. Give me a topic, Lord. Give me a verse. Lord, give me something. One morning he showed up, and as he was praying on the, on the uh, 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 pulpit here on the platform. He's saying, God, give me something. Lord, give me a verse. Give me a thought. Lord, just spark me. Lord, give me something. The Lord gave him something. He said, you're lazy. I believe a preacher ought to pray. I believe a preacher ought to prepare. I believe a preacher ought to be passionate about what he's speaking about. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to listen to somebody that's not passionate. I read a quote from Abraham Lincoln saying, when I stand up, or when I sit down to listen to a sermon, I don't want to hear a cut and dried sermon. I want to see a sermon from a man who looks like he's fighting bees. I don't know about you, but I want my preacher to be involved. And I don't necessarily need my preacher ripping my face every week, but I want him in my front yard every week. I want him speaking truth, an exhaustive search. He looked in the Bible and showed them exactly what it said. He showed them where their error was. Look at this, not only an exhaustive search, but an exact study. Now look in verse 27. He expounded unto them in all scriptures, notice this, the things concerning himself. Now, I wonder why he began to show them the things about himself. Well, if you study and you look back, it's because that's where they were wrong. They had lost their faith that he was the Messiah. They had lost their faith that he was the Redeemer. They didn't have faith that he had power over the grave. They did not have faith that he could raise from the dead like he had promised beforehand. They lost all faith and lost all hope. So Jesus looks at them and begins to preach to them about himself. Did you know that it's the duty of the pastor to know the state of his flock? Did you know that the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the pastor is to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre's sake, but of a ready mind. In other words, the pastor is supposed to see what things are going wrong and what things are going right and what things are working and what things are not working. And he's been giving the oversight of which, and because of that, he's supposed to feed the flock. Jesus talked to them about Jesus because that's what they were wrong on. In neo-evangelicalism and, and, and really this new emergent church moving, one thing that's become very prevalent is to not speak of sin. Simply to encourage, to lift up, say, God has a plan for your life. God wants to do great things with you. And I believe that. But did you know that God can't do great things with you if you're dirty? He can't use you in a great ministry if you're filthy rotten. Or else he would have used the most religious men of the day, which were the uh, uh, Pharisees. And I, I do believe that God has a magnificent plan for every person's life. I believe that God wants to do great things with you. He wants to take the Davids tonight and help them slay giants. His sermons kind of changed, though, depending on who he was talking to. You see, they brought a woman taken in adultery, and, and the Pharisee says, Master, the law says this. What do you say? And Jesus says, well, I, I would say the person that's perfect and never done anything wrong, he should cast the first stone. And that was his sermon to them. And then they all left, and he looked at her and said, Woman, does no man condemn thee? She says, no man, Lord. And she said, and he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Not all the time was Jesus' sermons condemning, controversial. His sermon to her was, I love you for who you are. I remember the story of the Pharisees coming to Jesus, and they looked at Jesus and says, Lord, we desire that you would show us a sign. Here's your sign. Lord, we desire that you would show us a sign. And Jesus looks straight in their face and says, An evil and perverse generation seeketh after a sign. You see how different the sermon is? Well, why didn't he just always preach on God loves them? Because that's not what everybody needs to hear. Every once in a while, your preacher ought to be in your front yard. And I tell you what, if my preacher didn't get on me sometimes, if my preacher didn't just show me how wicked and how filthy and how wrong I was, I don't think I could grow. I believe sometimes a, a preacher needs to look at you and says, 
You generational vipers, you clean the outside of the cup, but on the inside you're full of excess and extortion and dead men's bones. You know who preached that sermon? Jesus. You see, Jesus preached exactly what needed to be preached. Here's the problem is when members in the church think they know more about what the preacher ought to preach than he does. Preacher, month of January rolls around, I can't believe you'd preach about being a good steward. Preacher, I can't believe you'd preach about giving. It seems like that's all you ever preach. I'm preacher, it seems like... Y'all hear my voice? This is not good. My dad would be so mad at me if he was here right now. He said, Andrew, preach from your diaphragm. Too late now. It's already going. (laughs) Amen. Every once in a while, your preacher's just going to have to look over the flock. And when he sees things like people being at bars and drinking alcohol and then posting them on Facebook, every once in a while a preacher needs to get up and say, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Every once in a while a preacher needs to just occasionally look at his flock and say, teenagers live a pure life. Teenagers live separately, come out from among them and be separate. Every once in a while a preacher needs to look at the fathers and say, fathers, you're not being good enough leaders. I don't care if you can show your son how to hit a baseball. If you can't show him how to read his Bible and how to love Jesus, you've not gotten anything right. Don't think you know what preachers should preach. You say, well, preacher sermons ain't been speaking to me lately. Well, maybe they're meant for somebody else. And if you'll just hang on long enough, i got a feeling he's going to get in your yard someday. It's just amazing when people come up to preacher. Preacher, I felt like you're preaching right at me. Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but I was. Jesus gave them exactly what they needed. And he did not glaze over them and say, oh, boys, that's okay. He said, ye fools and slow of heart. And he showed them exactly what they needed to see. And so... The Word of God in preaching corrects our falling. I want you to notice, thirdly, if my voice can make it through it, preaching rekindles our fervor. Preaching rekindles our fervor. I want you to notice this, first of all, a requested continuance in verse 28. I like this part of it. You probably won't, but I do. Verse 28 says, And they drew nigh unto the village, whether they went, And he made as though he would have gone further. So they they come to where they were going, and Jesus says, All right, gentlemen, I'll leave you here. I've got to go a little bit further. I'm not quite to my destination. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to tarry with them. I like that. When a sermon is preached right, no matter how aggressive, no matter how controversial, if it's from a heart of love and instruction and correction, if it's that type of sermon, you know what you ought to be saying? Keep it coming, preacher. Oh, don't leave us now, preacher. You've got us right here at the top. Come on, just just bring her on home, preacher. Just preach it right to me. That was these men's reaction. Jesus said, okay, I'll leave you now. They said, no, stay with us. Speak to us more. Show us more. It's a shame how scheduled we have become. Even tonight, as we manipulated the schedule a little bit, some of you were like, what, the special's not after the offering? Oh, we're gone Pentecostal now. I don't know what's going on. It's a shame how scheduled we are. We, we look at the clock on Sunday morning and we say, huh, 12.15, I guess preacher went a little long. Do you know our preacher's not always going to be with us? Do you know there's going to come a day when you'll beg to hear a sermon go to 12.15 as long as it's from his lips? It's a shame how backslidden we have become that we look at our clock like we have something more important than hearing from God. These men say, come on, don't leave us now. Help us. This is the time that we need instruction. This is the time when our lives are are confused. Jesus just, they didn't know it was Jesus, but they say, sir, stay with us just a little bit longer. 
And I wonder when the last time it was when you were disappointed, the preacher said, bow your head and close your eyes. I wonder the last time when you said, preacher, I don't want to go eat right now. I want to hear the word of God. I want something changed in my life. Preacher, I want more of what you're saying. When was the last time? Because preaching will always rekindle the fervor and will always make you want more. I want you to notice not only a requested continuance, but secondly, a revealed Christ. Look in verse 31. The Bible says, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Now look in verse 16 for a little context as to what's going on here. Jesus appears to them in verse 16. The Bible says, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So in verse 16, Jesus is speaking with them, but they cannot see Jesus. They don't recognize him as him. And I just wonder if maybe the reason that they did not recognize him was they were not looking in faith. Because Jesus says, you don't believe? Verse 11 told us they didn't believe that he was alive. And and verse 16 tells us they did not perceive it was Jesus. Now here in verse 31, their eyes are opened and Jesus is revealed unto them. It's like when they heard the sermon preached to them, when they heard Jesus preaching, it's like their faith began to build and something began to get more spiritual and less carnal and a little more light came into their life and a little less darkness. And as that began to take place, it's like a light switch came on and said, That's Jesus. Do you know preaching always ought to lift up Jesus Christ? The Bible says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You say, Brother Andrew, what about in in the month of January when we're preaching on stewardship? Do you know Jesus is the reason we give? We wouldn't know how to give if it wasn't for his example of giving. You say, Brother Andrew, what about in the month of March when, when it's missions month? Did you know Jesus is the reason for the mission? In our evangelism, he is the story we have to tell. Did you know that in your service, whatever it is, whether it's in the bus ministry or whether it's in the children's ministry, whether it's in Reformers Unanimous or whether it's here in the service, I don't know where your ministry is. I don't know where you serve. Man, that's getting frustrating, isn't it? It is for me. I don't know where your ministry is, but did you know that the example for service is the fact that Jesus came and made himself a servant? Every sermon ought to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many preachers lift themselves up and tell how many people they've seen uh, come to the Lord in soul winning Tell how big their church is and tell how many people they have in their church. Did you know that when you lift someone else up, Jesus Christ is withdrawn? You have a choice. You can lift up yourself or lift up Jesus. And one thing that will never change in this church is the fact that Jesus will be lifted up no matter if it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at the church offices, whether it's Thursday, whether it's Friday night when uh, Tyco Security Systems calls me and tells me that our, our security monitor's tricked and the police officers come up and clear the building with weapon drones. I don't care when it is. That happened Friday night, by the way. I don't care when it is. I don't care. Jesus ought to be lifted up in the confines of this building. He's the only reason for this building. He's the foundation of the church. He's the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the reason for everything that I do. And he ought to be the reason for everything you do. And there ever not ever be a time when we meet and we gather to worship and we don't sing praises to his name. And we don't lift up his name in prayer. And we don't uh, go to him in prayer. It ought to be Jesus is the reason we're here. Jesus. Too many churches are meeting about getting water to Africa. Too many churches are meeting about the new installation of their coffee shop. We need to get back to preaching Jesus and revealing Jesus to this old wicked and dying world. I want you to notice finally a reignited combustion. Verse 32. I'm not saying my voice is just about had it. I don't know about y'all. Verse 32. Jesus disappears, and they said one to another, Did not 
our heart and burn within us while, we, while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. I don't know about you, but I like that verse. I like that verse. They, before they were reasoning within themselves, they're saying, well, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the, what's going to happen in a week. Or I don't know. I don't know why those ladies came and said that they had seen Jesus. We watched him die. I don't know. I don't have any answers. And now they're sitting around the campfire, and they look at one another, and they say, have you ever felt like that before? I've heard some good preaching, but when Jesus preached to us, our hearts burned. In Revelation chapter 3, there's a very sad story told. It's a story of a church. That church is the church of the Laodiceans. That church is depicted as one who had all the benefits of ministry. They had the buildings. They had the gold. They had everything. They had the opportunity to reach out and impact hundreds and thousands for the name of Christ. Revelation 3, the Bible says, I would that thou wert cold or hot. But because thou art not cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Let me break that down in a little better language for you to understand. It makes God sick when there are lukewarm Christians present. You know what preaching is supposed to do? light a fire under you. It's supposed to encourage you to be bigger than you've ever been, to do more than you've ever done, to give more than you've ever given, to, to preach more than you've ever preached, to care more than you ever cared. That's what preaching is. It's meeting with God and looking into the written Word of God so that we may meet the living Word of God and that the Holy Spirit of God may ignite something into our lives and just say, do more, be more, see more, experience more. You can do it. Be more through me. That's preaching. Did you know it's not just a few verses later? The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and let me in, I will come in and sup with him. You see, the invitation is not some new concept that we dreamed up. We don't do this because uh, uh, other Baptists have done it over the years. You know why we have an invitation? Because God gave one. Jesus preached a sermon and said, I don't want you to be cold, because cold doesn't help anybody. I want you to be hot. But the least of all, I don't want you to be right in the middle. I don't want you to be torn between worldly and spiritual. I don't want you to be halfway halfway between being right and being wrong. I don't want you halfway. I want you straight cold, or I want you fiery hot. And then he says this, but if you'll come to me, I don't know what this sermon is accomplishing. To be honest, as the Lord told me to preach it, I was quite puzzled at the reason why. But I hope tonight that you understand that preaching is not done just so that you can hear me speak for 45 minutes to an hour. I hope you understand that preaching is not just done so that we can say that we've met with God. Everything this church does from the very opening prayer to the song sung is to get to a, get us to a point so that we might receive the preaching of the Word of God. And the reason is, is we that I believe and we believe that if we will hear God's Word preached and respond to God's Word preached, that Jesus offers an invitation to you saying, if you will come forth, I will get right. You will get right with me. How many of y'all have ever been to Texas Day Brazil? That's a pretty good place to eat. I like me some Texas Day Brazil. Texas Day Brazil is a Brazilian, I'm going to try saying this right, I don't know if I'm going to, Charisco restaurant. Oh, not bad. If Mary Bernie gave me the nod of approval, I know that it was not bad. A Brazilian Charisco restaurant. Miss Pam Ashcraft told me a long time ago, Andrew, you don't know how to speak Spanish at all, but you, you have a good accent. So amen, that's that's all that matters. I can read it okay. 
I've been there, and, and what's amazing is they have these men going around with swords, and on these swords they have just pounds of meat. They're basically giant skewers, and they, they have anything from bacon-wrapped filet mignon, which is tough to beat. That's about as good as it gets. They have bacon-wrapped chicken. going to weigh my options. going to go with a filet mignon. Um, they have a chef special, which is usually like a pepper-crusted type of sirloin. There's probably anywhere from a 10 to a dozen different meats that these men bring around on skewers. And they come to you and they say, oh, would you like some? I don't have a great Brazilian accent. They say, would you like some? You say, what is that? And they say, bacon-wrapped chicken. I say, get away from me. Flee from me, Satan. Get behind me. And my wife, oh, give me the chicken. What are you doing? And then old boy comes up and he says, uh, would you like some bacon wrap flaming on? I say, <laughs> is my mother a woman? Is she the most beautiful lady you've ever seen? Yes, she is. So that was a compliment made up for last week. There you go, Mom. What's so unique about Texas Day Brazil is they give you these buttons, green and red. It's like a little coaster that you lay on the table. Green means bring it on. Shower me in carne. That's also Spanish. It means meat. Shower me in meat. Red means, no, I'm going to chicken out. I don't want any of that. I don't ever turn my button red. It doesn't matter if I am so grotesquely full that I can't even look at meat. He comes up to me and says, would you like something? Ah, no. Why is your button green? Because I like the smell. Just keep walking by. I wonder if sometimes we don't have a button when it comes to preaching. The Bible talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only. You have the choice tonight, and you have the choice every time we come to meet to have your button on green or red. Preacher, come on by. Preacher, speak to me. Do you know the Lord's never been able to speak to a heart that's been closed? Next time you come to this service, next time you come to a preaching service at Joshua Baptist Church, I would encourage you to come like this. Lord, whatever you have. Lord, if you take me out of my comfort zone, I'll love to go as long as it's with you. Lord, whatever you have for me, your button's on green. But I'm afraid to say a lot of the time, our button would probably look more red. Oh, preacher, I don't care what you say. I don't care. You, you just, your jokes are the same. Your points are the same. Everything's the same, preacher. For, for 29 years, you've been the same. There you sit with a red button and God looks at you saying, I would do such great things in you and through you and for you if you would just open up. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open up, and, 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 and I will come into him and will sup with him. Friend, what's your button on? Green or red? 